0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're
1: listening to Electrician Live with your host Paul Abernathy and Jay Brunberg. well hey everybody welcome to another episode of electrician live my name is paul abernathy and with me we have jay grunberg there you go jay's at the show we're here we're ready to do another episode keep y'all entertained maybe not talk so much code this week jay i don't know maybe i'll throw in code i don't know what i'm going to do this week be honest with you but jay what is to this week's topic what are we going to talk about on this episode,
2: yeah, yeah, of course. What's up, what's up everybody? Welcome to um, tonight's live broadcast. We actually have a two-part series going on for you. So tonight we'll be talking about the genera- generators and utilities, transformers, um, high voltage if you want to call it that. Um, so tonight's going to be more designed around the utility company. And, um, we're going to give you some cool examples and some examples that you might be able to take with you out into the field. And then, um, part two episode, we're going to get into service upgrades in a dwelling unit. So, there you go.
1: and I don't know why you said transformer cause I ain't talking transformer tonight. Oh, want to talk a little bit, maybe a little, a <laughs> little bit, 30,000 foot view of it. So anyway, um, so welcome to the show, everybody and. um, and again, before we even start the show, I guess we got to pay homage to the sponsor. So the sponsor being Electrician Pride, who covers all the good little stickers you see. And of course, I think Jay's got some swag going on. He's got the, got the mug and he's got look got the shirt. He likes the, uh, hey, look at that. He likes the, uh, the, the uh, wizard stuff. So anyway, let's get a word from our sponsor and then we'll get right into the show. Today's show is sponsored by electricianpride.com. Your one-stop shop for electrician-specific t-shirts, hoodies, phone cases, mugs, die-cut stickers, leggings, and so much more. Featuring unique designs for electricians, journeymen, and master electricians, as well as electrical engineers and electrical inspectors. For more information on all the products that are available, visit us at www.electricianpride.com today. All right. So, again, check it out, all the goodies we got on it. And also now, Jay, I don't know if people knew this, but over on the YouTube channel, underneath all of the videos, I'm running a certain number of swag that people could get involved in, whether it's the mugs or the phone cases or the shirts or whatever. So, again, I'm a sellout, Jay. What can I
2: say? Right. That's right. Represent us, man. Represent us. I represent the code Strong. So everybody that's listening, Code Coach Strong is still going to
1: hold me to that. He's still going to hold me. He's still going to hold me to that special sticker for Coach Strong. I'm I'm going to do it, Jim. When I get all the, the stuff that I can get get done, I will definitely. That's
2: right, you're a busy man.
1: Trying to get that done. Okay, so we're going to talk tonight. So what we see, uh, everybody that's listening now, if you're over in the podcast, you obviously can't see the graphic that we're sharing on the screen. Uh, and if you're using a small device, it might be pretty difficult, Jay, for people to see all these little things, but go get your big old monitor and watch the rebroadcast if you want, if you want to see some of the things we're talking about. But if you're on the podcast, jump on over here and feel free to join us. Look at this you know, pretty mug over there, ugly mug right here, uh, when it comes to the um, youtube.com forward slash master the NEC. And you notice I... You notice I shaved for you, Jay. You did I got rid of the the, the 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 beard that I could not grow, the beard that never would be? Mm. Okay, And I was looking awful scruffy, and so I was like, "No, got to go back to the goatee." You
2: were showing a lot of wizards. A lot of wisdom. is, this,
1: is that what this is?
2: No, oh, the the, okay. the scruff was a lot of wisdom. So I, <laughs> I went to the scruff. So I, I we're switching positions right now. So yeah, I,
1: I thought you were gonna say my scruff was my wisdom, and that was the only thing that I had that was <laughs> wisdom, and I shaved it off, and now I'm wisdomless. Okay, so oh, no. all right. So Jay, you know you'll have some questions for me. I'm sure we'll talk about some certain things. But those that are actually watching the video, and I'll describe it to the podcasters. Uh, what you see is a multi-tier structure from where you go from the generation facility because we're talking utility today and we'll talk all aspects of it. And the first thing, the the elephant always in the room is takes us, Jay, all the way back to Tesla versus Thomas Edison. And Thomas Edison believed very much in DC transmission. And of course, Tesla didn't invent AC. He perfected the AC motor and many, many, many other things. But... He made AC better, and he made it to the point where it's prolific. In other words, with the Niagara Falls contract, and then next thing you know, again, all over the country. And again, we'd be where we are today if it's AC. Now, Thomas Edison would be proud because he sees a recent surge in D.C., but it's locally. It's in the buildings. It's, it's very close proximity type of stuff because of all the losses that you have. Um, but with AC... In order to be able to transmit power for long distances, what they'd have to do is they have to step the power up to a very high voltage level and we'll kind of get into those levels and it can range all over the country, different values. Uh, So we're not going to give hard, fast numbers that is the same in every area because that's just not true. In some areas where it's, a lot of metropolitan, they have to carry a lot more voltage to go a lot more distance, so it's going to be different than what you might have in a rural area or something like that. So it, it does change. Um, there are some voltage standards, so we're just going to give you some of them tonight and and not kind of give you the whole gamut. So that's my, that's my disclaimer, Jay, for the night when it comes to that type of thing, okay? So okay. there. All right. So... Um, So when you see here, kind of a a quick overview, then we'll touch on each little piece. If you look at the graphic and those that are over in the podcast, the first graphic is basically depicting some type of generating station source, whether or not it's wind generation, a wind farm, or PV, uh, it's a solar field, or it is nuclear power or it's coal power or some other type of generation source that is going to generate power. It steps it up to a much higher voltage and then it sends it out on transmission lines. For those that are watching, we'll break it down, but just kind of give you an overview to start. Transmission lines, it then comes down into your areas, neighborhoods, or maybe not even neighborhoods, into regions. And it will break it down into a transmission substation. You've probably seen them on the side of the road. And then in some cases, it will actually break it down into distribution substations that might be in specific neighborhoods Or it might break it into a distribution substation that might be specifically for a large commercial building that needs a lot of power. And so it will take it there. And then, of course, from there, as you see in the graphic, those that are, again, watching the video, it will step it down to the distribution lines, ultimately to the final transformer at your pole, whether it's pad mount or on the pole, and then it will take it down into the customer. Okay?
2: So that's kind of a... Transformer?
1: Hmm. No, transformer? I didn't. No, oh. I didn't. Okay. Um. Yes, I did. Transformer down to the customer. All right. Okay. I said we were going to talk transformers, but totally I'm not going to we get into about them.
2: You can't okay. get into the big power without the transformer. We we all we all love transformers out in the field. So
1: yeah, step it's, it up, step it down. There's a you lot. Think. You have to do. And you know, transformers make make things work. It's a and transformers. When you think about it, not to go into transformers, because I got to have sure. a, so a separate video <laughs> and series on that when you think of transforms, you think of what happens between a primary and a secondary, and you have no intimate connection between the two, the primary to secondary. It's in close proximity, creating a magnetic field, transfers that power from primary to secondary based on turn ratios. And when it does that, then, you know, the number of windings primary relevant to the secondary, Um, then it's an amazing thing to be able to have power that can be utilized at a secondary. And it's just, again... Usually a magnetic core wrapped with wire. And it just basically creates this transition from primary to secondary, right? So a, a 480 to 240, two to one, uh, you know, concepts. So, I mean, again, it's all turns ratios and all that. And again, for another class, but without the transformer, you would not be able to take that higher voltage and then step it down into a lower voltage or take a lower voltage and step it up to a higher voltage. Okay, so again, homage to the transformer. Jay brought it up, so we might as well talk all transformers. Uh, But they're an amazing thing, and again, uh, how they function, it just functions, and it's just amazing. And we're not going to talk 450, Article 450. We're not going to talk about 450.3. We're not going to talk about size and overcurrent devices tonight for the transformer. No. We're just going to talk utility, okay? All right, so Jay. What, are some of the, what do you think, uh, oh, and by the way, everybody, we have some, you know, obviously we said we we're going to be very structured. Uh, me and Jay would be moving forward, so we have notes and different things to, to discuss these topics so that we can make sure we bring you good information. So typically, some of the voltages that we can see from this utility, if you're watching the screen, it can come from the generating plant through the transmission lines to the transmission substation. That can be as high as, what, 115,000 volts, 230,000 volts? Sure. Um, Quite a bit, yeah. And, it, it and I've a, seen five hundred thousand. Okay, amazing. I've seen you know millions of volts transmitted from a generation station through transmission lines to substations. You know.
2: Sure. So, do you so, when, when you see these transmission lines that are mm-hmm. going overhead, or the distribution lines, all the power from the utility going overhead? Is, is that a certain utility code that, that the utility company looks up and goes by and studies? Because I'd imagine they would have to have some kind of book that they follow, or are they following our NEC book?
1: Now, so in the, good question, because the NEC is going to leave off at the point where it comes down to the building and detaches to the side of the building. So that's called the point of attachment. We call at the service point the line of demarcation. That's where the utility's responsibility ends and the electricians pick up. Now, that can be a moving line. And, of course, I'm sure we'll talk about that, you know, even more as we see some pictures of graphics that I'm going to show you in, in, in a little bit. Again, for those that are over in the podcast, I encourage you. We'll try to do our best to describe them. Um but there is a point where it, everything that's on the supply side of that service uh, that service point is under the National Electrical Safety Code, okay, so N-E-S-C. And they have their responsibilities. Of course, also, when you get into some of those really, really high power lines, the utilities tend to, to have their own rules and they follow their own things. I mean, this is their world. This is their, I'm sure people have seen those videos where people are actually coming in on a uh, helicopter and they're, they're working on the line and, you got, and they got to go out and they got to actually make a connection to the line first so that there's no difference of potential and causes anything to get shocked. So that's a Faraday's cage where you, they make contact with it and the, the current all just passes over their body. Because there is a slight difference of potential, but really it's this everything just kind of travels all over them. And so they don't get shocked, and it's quite amazing to see it. But they have all their own rules they have to follow. But again, most of the utility stuff that we're used to, when it comes from transmission station down to neighborhoods and all that, that's a national electrical safety code. Now, they mirror the NEC pretty good. I mean, there's a lot of things that I personally think they probably just cut and paste and throw in there, but uh, they do have their own rules that they have to follow. So definitely a, a good question uh, for that. Now, so depending on how far they gotta go, Jay, if, if I had to go 500 miles through rural area, rugged area, then I'm probably gonna be running a line that would be something like 500,000 volts or, or even higher so that when I get to the other end, I have less losses. That was a problem with DC. I mean, Thomas Edison, you know, a great man, but he, you know, and and he had to put basically a power generation station in New York every so many blocks in order to be able to get the power needed to to do what he had to do. And so, again, the, the ability to send AC current such distances by being able to just crank up that voltage high. And then when you get to the other end, step it back down it's an amazing thing we all know what a 48240 does so you can only imagine what happens when they're doing something as high as 500,000 volts and now they're going to step that down to whatever they're going to work with amazing concept of all this stuff that, that i don't want any part of i'm not a utility guy i don't want anything to do with those voltage levels okay Stuff goes. You know what happens when you get near that stuff. It looks like the background on Jay's picture. You start yep. having all this arcing take place, ionization. It's, it's crazy. I don't have anything to do with that. I'll keep the guys on my out side.
2: Here, on our end, they call those guys linemen. Yes, they're the guys that walk up the or climb up the poles and they got the boots on. They're very they're
1: insulated.
2: Like, have all the tools.
1: Insulated. They follow procedures very well. I will say we have a lineman school down here in Denton, Texas. And they will train people to be linemen, and it's uh, again not a job I'd want. And but we need them because yeah. uh, in the middle of the night when there's storms, we don't like to be without power. And the other night we had a storm here in Texas. I was without power for about an hour. That's oh, the no. most we've. I know. I know. Like oh, an hour. That's the most we have ever been without power since I've been in Texas.
2: Couldn't charge your cell phone. Couldn't you get know, on the internet.
0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: It can get Nine, on Facebook. Oh.
1: You know, well, no, I had enough charge. I was okay. good. I had my phone was charged up. I was good. <laughs> but the the, the 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 problem with that is people say to me, said, Paul, Paul, you're an electrical guy. Why don't you put a generator in? And I'm like, no, not for one hour power out for And we barely ever, I got a UPS system on my computer. So if power goes out, at least I can shut things down. Hey, if I lose power, Jay, that is a family moment. That's a break to stop doing everything. Except for the fact that I do have a cell phone and it does have connections. But other than that, I I prefer those moments. Okay. But, but it's not worth the investment for me to put a generator in just to, for, you know, every blue moon, I might have one hour, you know? But that's the max I've ever had. How about you? Well, you're um, in the, you've been, got winter storms. So, do you, you know, Colorado, do you lose power often?
2: We, we lose power quite a bit. I'd say at least a dozen times throughout the winter, um, whether it ranges from a 30 minute um, downtime to possibly even four to five hours. Okay. Um, a lot of times, some of these powers that go out are, are either branches that are taking down those tower lines or the transmission lines, the distribution lines, or even cars slide off the road. And if they're going at a certain speed, they may take down one of those wooden poles that are holding the utility lines.
1: Yeah, so, so- I would think that in our graphic here, the majority of what you're seeing is those distribution lines. Uh, that is where it's coming from, the distribution substation, and or from a transmission substation, if you don't have a distribution substation set up that it's going to go from there out to the distribution through the neighborhoods. Um, I would see that as being probably where where it's, you know, the, the limbs and the trees aren't cut back and that kind of thing happens. So I could see where that would happen. So another interesting thing, Jay. So those that are looking at the screen, they'll notice that in the middle it says transmission substation. And, of course, on the right you have what's called a sub-transmission line and then a distribution substation. Well, some cases, for example, we can't pump power through neighborhoods at 13.8 or 34.5 type of voltages. We have to break it down because the transformers that we put at the poles, for example, don't really have the ability to drop it down. Okay, So we have to get it down even further. So a lot of times from that transmission substation to that distribution substation, might be where it drops it down, down to uh, from the transmission substation down to distribution might be thirteen eight. Finally, brings it down a little bit, and then it goes there, and then it steps it down from the distribution substation down to like seven two, okay, seven thousand two hundred volt applications or something like that. Uh, and might and that's would take it through the neighborhood, or it might even break it down even more down to two point four. Or some other lower va- value okay so and of course we're talking about that you have 2.4 or 4.16 whatever it may be they can drop it down even more so again depending on how many stations in there what your neighborhood can handle how it's distributed but the reason i bring that up is because sometimes let's say i have a, a large company and i'm going to consume a lot of power then you will have a transmission station which will supply a is maybe a another transmission station that is just for the company, just for a big company, a big a big purchaser of power. Okay, like Encore Wire in, in McKinney, Texas. We we have, we have all these you know, smelting plant, and we have all these production lines. We use a lot of power. Okay, so we have our dedicated lines coming in f- from the power company to Encore, and so again that could come from transmission station down or it could come from the distribution station down. And you could have another distribution station down the way that would break the voltage down even more to be able to use in residential neighborhoods. Whereas the other one, it might also break it down to be used in commercial neighborhoods. And in some cases, you could even have two different voltage classes on the same transmission lines, maybe at different heights, different angles, different configurations. Okay, so again, it's it's not totally unheard of, Okay, to have multiple different voltage classes on transmission lines, that type of thing. Now, typically the ones that go through neighborhoods are not. They're going to be probably um, in the big areas, they're going to be probably 13.8. When it breaks it down, it probably breaks it down to 2.4 and then carries it through your neighborhood. Or maybe even 7.2, that might go through your neighborhood. And then it hits a transformer, either pad mount or on the pole. And then that's where we'll take it down a little more. Okay, you with me? with you. Okay. Um, I would say by and large I'll go out on a limb, Jay. I will say by and large the most popular voltage grade from a transmission uh, distribution substation out to distribution lines and around or other stations that are smaller for for local neighborhoods, I would say it's probably 13.8. Okay. I would venture to say that that's probably what you're going to see the most.
2: That's our- that's what you commonly see here for like an Excel company. There are Poco, some people call them Poco, or power company here. Um, they're a local company that, that brings the utilities in to the residential neighborhoods that we normally deal with. And I was talking to one of their linemen, and that's what they bring down is the thirteen eight, and then they step, it, they continuously step it down until they hit the residence area. And sometimes you'll see the transformer on the pole, and it will go underground. Yes. Or you might see you know, two, two different um, transformers. And we'll probably get into that out in front. Sometimes you can have a transformer out in front of your yard.
1: Yeah, so I have one in the front of my house, and that is a pad transformer. Uh, and so it can be on the pole, and that's called a riser, even though it goes from the transformer down. We, 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 can, we call that a riser. Um, and then, of course, you have your, your pad mount. And usually in a neighborhood, they'll drop a pad, and they'll service a certain number of houses from that pad, and then it goes on, and they'll have another one, a certain number of houses up the way. So if you ride around the neighborhood, you see the pads, okay, and and you'll see that that they'll service multiple homes from those pads, and they might have as much again thirteen eight running in the ground up into these transformers, or they might have stepped it down at the subdivision, and they might drop it down to seven two. It depends on that jurisdiction and how they wanna do it and what their transformers can do and what they have available, okay? So next one I wanna look at, Jay, is... So let's look at the picture here, people that are watching on the screen. This is, we've talked about getting it here. We're taking it through the... um, It could be underground, I guess we didn't say that, Jay. It could be underground or overhead. um, Which costs more? The overhead costs more to maintain you got to cut the lines. It's, it's subject to environmental conditions, ice. So everything that I'm in Texas, most of the stuff around me is underground. And it is the upfront cost is a little more. But once it's in the ground, it's in the ground. You were saying to me, we were talking, that most of your stuff is overhead. And I would imagine with the snow and ice and everything that it can, you know, it, it costs them quite a bit to maintain that in, in your area.
2: Yeah, we have quite a bit of overhead lines. Um, there's some of the newer developments that will go underground. You'll see a lot of the resident, the um, residential panels being underground fed. But when you, especially downtown Denver, o- older buildings and stuff, everything is overhead. Everything's overhead. Wow. Everything's overhead, and it's it's amazing because there's some of these areas where you're you're driving your car down the um, interstate and you you turn off an exit. And you're following a big semi truck, and you you look up and you see these power lines,
1: and you're thinking and it's going to hit it.
2: Oh my goodness! And there's times where there's only maybe a foot or two from these lines. You're just you're just like, oh man, if that did hit it, I've watched YouTube videos of of um, semi trucks hit power lines, and hey, look, and you don't, if that <laughs>
1: happens and you witness it, don't go run into them. And go, hey, I got this. I'm an electrician. Oh. Don't do that. Just stay away from it. Call the power company and just stay away. That's you know, different it's, it's different crazy. type of electricians. You
2: know, it's crazy seeing that stuff though, and, and and how how these lines are so low in certain areas. So the the older stuff is mostly overhead. The newer stuff, like you were mentioning, is is usually underground. And actually, we have we were doing a project in um, Longmont, which is north of where I stay in Centennial, and we were doing a big ninety three unit development. Um, project for a uh a company who does track homes and what was happening was they would subcontract their utilities out and they would actually this subcontractor longmont power would do all the conduit they would they would run the pvc from the transformer to each of our um panels okay they would they would run it underground we we wouldn't even touch it. We would we would do a, um, I know we're not getting into that. Maybe that's a, a story for another day, but it's just crazy how some utility companies will do all the underground up to your main service. Yeah. So.
1: so majority of the time, we'll kind of talk about that. I'll kind of touch on that here probably in a minute, the different things to be aware of so that the, you know, the viewers can be aware of that as well as the listeners. But what we've got on the screen, and Jay, you have it as well, this is called a small building layout. So we're going to assume in this case we're not talking residential because we know that part two of this, we're going to get deep into residential. So we're talking uh, small buildings, and this is an example where you would have, say it's a, a small commercial building, and it's 13-8 that's being supplied. And here you'll have a utility transformer. So this is a utility-owned transformer, means the utility is the one that places it. You're buying the power, they own the meter. Uh, the difference is, big companies can own their own meter, and they call tenant-owned meters or tenant-owned uh, transformers. Okay, they own everything. In this case, everything is utility-owned transformer, utility-owned meters. Okay, so they come in with the thirteen eight, come into the transformer primary, and it comes out from the secondary. Either 122.40 or 122.08 volts, whatever's being utilized by that building in that design. And that's what's going to come in and it's going to hit your panel. And then, of course, you're going to, you know, from that meter in, or actually, interesting enough, the utility is responsible for that utility 13.8 that you people see on the screen. If you're over on the podcast, we've got a depiction of a transformer being fed by 13,800 volts, that's utilities. It comes up into their transformer. That's a sealed transformer, that's theirs. It changes over to secondary, steps it down, comes out over to the meter. That is still all under the guidance of utility. So the depth of cover, the bury, and all that stuff is still outside of the National Electrical Code because that's a utility-owned transformer, okay? People say, well, how deep does it have to be? I don't know. It's not in the National Electrical Code. It's not 300.5 that governs this because this is utility owned. Now, once it hits that meter, now, the point that it hits that meter, that is the line of demarcation. That is your service point. From the load side of that meter is now service entrance conductors. Now, it could be either service entrance conductors underground, or it could just be underground service entrance, okay? In this case, the way the picture is drawn, the meter looks like it's just floating out in the middle of the air, but typically, it would be on the side of the building, okay? So, once it hit that meter, then it would come out, and it's going to hit the service disconnection means, okay? In this case, I said I wouldn't get cozy tonight, Jay, but 230.70A1, outside or nearest point of entry, you know I can't help it, and- it's, it's hitting that service disconnect, okay? Now, that on the load side of that meter, that is the responsibility of the electrician. Sure. Okay? And in this case, if it happens to be like it's shown, it comes out of the meter, goes down underground and into it, then those are called service entrance conductors underground. And they're going into the meter. And again, all that's the responsibility of the electrician at that point from that meter in, Okay? And of course, the National Medical Code for those that have it handy. Jay, you got yours handy?
2: I got it. Let's those just make, cool
1: make sure all of our students out there know we have it. And he's got the 2020. I got the 2017. Got the 2022. Uh, but interesting thing is, Jay, if I tell people, I'm not going to bring it up on the screen because I don't want to. I don't want to take people away from it. What I find is interesting is if you go look in the code, one of the areas that I tell people that they need to get familiar with is Conductors and what they're called. So, example: if you go to service conductors, uh, and it can, if you're in your code book in the 2017, it's on page 41. Uh, it might be somewhere around there in the 2020 code, Jay. Uh, but what you're looking at is where it starts. It'll say service conductors. Then you'll see service conductors overhead, service conductors underground. You'll see service drop. You'll see service interconductors overhead systems. You'll see service interconductors underground systems. You'll see Service lateral, service point. You'll see all of that information that is so important because you need to know who's responsible for what, right? Yep. So in this picture that we've got right here, if you look at the one, and again, those that are didn't plan on getting their code books, I'm just gonna read it to you and I'm not gonna cut away to it. it if it was service interest conductors underground, it says the service conductors between the terminals of the service equipment and the point of connection to the service lateral or underground service conductors. So here it comes out of the building straight up into the meter. Everything that ran to that meter was considered service laterals. So those were conductors would be service conductor underground system, okay? Now in this picture, for those that are looking at the picture, that utility coming in thirteen eight, that would not be called a service lateral we only start calling it service lateral from the secondary side of that utility transformer and what runs up to our meter. That's underground. That's done by the utility. Yes, it's in the code, but that is under the scope of the utility. Okay? okay. So that is their responsibility.
0: Um, now. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Jumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. One other one to look at.
1: And let's see if I... There is another... Okay, so notice up above... For those that are following along, hopefully you get your code books. Again, you didn't plan on code tonight, Jay. I told you couldn't get away from me.
0: Yeah.
1: Service conductors underground. What's the difference between service conductors, uh, service entrance conductor underground, underground system versus service conductors underground? It says the underground, the underground conductors between the service point and the first point of connection to the service entrance conductors in a terminal box, meter, or other enclosure inside or outside of the building wall. Okay, so the differences are, is let's say, Jay, that that meter was outside and it went underneath the building and then popped up into the middle of the building. Okay, Okay. if that's the case there, then it could be either service conductors underground or it could be service entrance conductors underground system and the installer or whoever's dealing with it has to figure out which it is now the biggest difference is this if that meter i mean if that transformer was tenant owned
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay and it comes off of the loads the secondary side of that transformer and it's tenant owned then the national electrical code is going to govern it okay that, that's the, the key point here that's going to be underground service conductors okay they're going to come out Why? Because the service point is where? It's at the transformer. Utility left when they fed it to the transformer and the secondary side is our responsibility. Okay? Now, if it goes to that meter, which is now our responsibility, then from that meter into the panel, that is where it would be service entrance conductors underground because the whole system was an underground system. So again, again, that's a little bit more detail than I wanna get into tonight, but just know that service laterals are outside of our scope, um, but service conductors underground or service conductors overhead, whether it's from a pole mounted or whatnot, all are governed by the NEC. It just depends on whether or not it's a tenant owned transform, transformer or a utility owned transformer,
2: okay? We've, we've actually done a lot of work, or I've done a lot of work with tenant owned transformers for the utility so we were doing a what was it a high school i believe it was a high school and and they had a transformer from the utility and they set the um, transformer i don't know maybe maybe 10 feet away from the building and then we brought the underground conductors into the main service inside the building and that was all for us the electricians to do Mm -hmm. and we actually hooked up the secondary side of that transformer and it was crazy because it's a huge debate of who was going to buy that concrete pad that the Transformer sits on. <laughs> now, was, who was,
1: who's who's going to pay for that?
2: There was a huge debate with a with company that I was working for, um, CVK Electric, out of Colorado Springs at the time. Um, and so we ended up, I believe we ended up paying for it. We said it. What's cool about that, though, Paul, is that we get out there and we have a ditch witch or a backhoe and we're digging a mini X. And and as electricians, we've obviously had the site, um, we've called eight one one dig to make sure we know where all the power lines are or gas lines, power lines underground, any of that stuff that we could hit. But when we get that clear run, it's it's funny seeing electricians out there on a mini X digging down, you know, two feet yeah. <laughs> and and uh, so again, as as an electrician for you apprentices out there, um, commercial, when you're in the commercial side, you're not only installing electrical work but you're you're using heavy duty equipment too i'm kind of getting off topic but i've used forklifts i've used mini axes hey i spent the last 10
1: minutes off topic so go ahead
2: (laughs) so this was the cool stuff and in the residential i don't really see it as much but when i was doing commercial i did a lot of big heavy equipment um operating not huge huge but enough to get the job done so all
1: right so just for clarity before we move on to the next example folks this transformer is utility owned yes that means that their service point is right here so that means that these conductors are still considered a service lateral once it hits this meter jay can't see me moving the mouse but once he hits this meter everything on this side of it that would be service entrance conductors okay now change this scenario Again, make this tenant transformer. Then this right here is considered service conductors underground until it gets to the meter. Then from the meter in, that is service entrance conductors. Okay? So again, it really depends on where that line of demarcation is and where it changes over that service point to determine what definition you're going to use. Good news, Jay, if it's service laterals, We don't really have anything to do with that. Even if you're contracted to do it, you're still going to do it in accordance with what the utility people want. Sure. Um, But if that is a tenant-owned transformer, the inspector is going to want to see the depth of cover. He's going to see the ribbon in there if it's service conductors 12 inches above. He wants to see everything. Okay? So it's a big difference on knowing whether or not it's utility or tenant. Um, So. Kind of wanted to make sure I covered because that's actually kind of an important thing. So I just want to make sure yeah. we we know what conductors are what.
2: All right. That's, so in that's this case, huge. no, well, go ahead. Said, that's, that's a huge thing for the electrical contractor to know too. Yeah. Because if you didn't put that in your bid, you could be losing out on thousands and thousands of dollars of material and yeah. labor and equipment that you're buying. So you could really your profit could be cut in half just by that little bit of a mistake of not reading that plans or sending that RFI off to uh, um, the engineer architect, so.
1: Yeah, so like I said, in this drawing, I if I was looking at this as an actual drawing, my responsibility is really from the meter into the panel. That's right. And, and that's gonna be service entrance conductors. If I own this transformer, then these are gonna be service conductors underground, they're going to hit a meter, and then it's going to be service entrance conductors. I am responsible for all these, okay? And they all have to pass the, the requirements for the National Electrical Code. Now, anything on the supply side of this utility transformer, or even if it was a tenant-owned transformer, anything that's supplying it from the utility, not my responsibility, okay? Now, they might contract you to do something, but you're doing it as a, a uh, agent for them, Ultimately, they take 100% control of it after it's done. Electricians don't mess with that once that meter's done, you know, except for Jay, he cuts meter tabs. But other than that, most people don't, and then it's not your responsibility anymore. What do you think about that? All right, so.
2: Okay,
1: so makes sense. Typically, that's how we distribute it out. So then that takes us to the next one, Jay. This is a larger building. So. So the building again still might be supplied with 138 right so yep. you know so it's going to come in you're going to come in and what happens is you'll have the utility coming in the utility will own the meter but now it goes out of the meter into the building it's still utility owned but then it hits that meter i mean hits that transformer yep now the question is even in a transformer vault, it still may be the ownership of the utility. If it's a tenant side meter, and now it's already in there, so once it's in there, then everything on the load side of it, again, is going to be the responsibility of the electrician. And that's where it's going to step it down to 480, 277, or whatnot, hitting various switchgear, uh, switchboards, whatever it might be. And then it's going to distribute it throughout the building, whether it's through bus ducts, Uh, a bus-fed system, uh, multiple transformers on multiple floors to to step that 482.77 down to maybe uh, 208.120 or something. So you might have multiple transformers, uh, and then, of course, you'll have your panels, and then, of course, you'll have your brand circuits and everything going out of there. So very typical large building application. I've done quite a few buildings prior to being pure code now, you know, is where I had buildings and we had to wire quite a few of the transformers in the building and um, they were utility owned. They were in a room that was dedicated to the utility and we had to make sure that we came from the secondary side of it. And then that was our, you know, our responsibility and we had to work with them and it was all contracted out to be able to, to do that. But again, you gotta know whether or not the transformer is utility or not. But once you're in the building, Rules step, step up at that point, okay? You, you have to take things a little more seriously because even in this picture we have, that room is designated as utility, okay? But then when it leaves that room and hits the switch gear, then it's when it's 482.77, so it's stepped down. That is all within a building still, so you have to be very careful how you run it, how it's run. Uh, but that's a good example of how the system would lay out. Any questions? You've got the graphic as well. So I think, Jay, did you have some questions that you wanted to, to uh, talk about? Yeah, when I look or- at,
2: the, at the power distribution in large buildings, that graph that you have up, um, I think of the Broncos Stadium um, here in Denver. When, uh, when, we were, when I was a fourth-year apprentice in IEC, which is one of the um, schools that my guys attend to, We actually got to go on a field trip, an adult field trip. Um, (laughs) Half the guys were drunk, uh, but it doesn't matter. We're going to go see the Bronco Stadium. So
0: we go in there.
2: (laughs) It's it's a crazy four hours after work that you have to do once a week. But um, we would would go to the Bronco Stadium, or we went to the Bronco Stadium, and the um, head electrician there, he brought us down to the vault where the transformer was 13.8, I believe. Again, it was a while ago, maybe it was 7.2. But then on each north, south, east, and west end, they would have those switch gears and, and multiple panels coming out. So it, it was a huge electrical distribution service throughout the whole Broncos Stadium. I couldn't get into it too much because, again, that was a long time ago. Sure. But that was the largest building of power that I've ever i've ever seen i mean when you look up you have six inch tubing or four inch to six inch tubing running through that um running running suspended from the ceiling um on that rack system and it was just it was like a piece of art you're just like oh my goodness i i can't wait to do this and then when you when you go and then you do it and and
1: then you do it and you're like i hope i never (laughs) do this again you know (laughs) It's like the jobs where I was putting the trade size six or four above my head and we were holding it as we were strapping it up and then you're like Yeah, yeah look at the pipe we ran. It's so nice and neat and then we're done and like I don't wanna do that again. You know? <laughs>
2: your arms are all noodly and yeah. your body aches. I mean of course oh.
1: can't much, you know, these
2: Yeah, right.
1: Guns right here. But... And
2: and that's just that's just running the conduit or tubing. That's yeah, that ain't pulling, pulling the in it. Wire yeah, now with, I gotta pull with... the wire in it. When QED or, or, or CES or whatever supply house shows up in that box truck and they have dozens of reels to unload and all that is for your run for that day and your foreman goes, okay, guys, we need to get this done in in two days. You're like, yeah, okay. How many guys we got? And they always underman you because we're always so oh, yeah. busy. But anywho, um, the Bronco Stadium, though, that was a pretty cool field trip that we got to go to, Paul. So that was pretty awesome. I mean, Although, awesome. go Seahawks. So Seahawks. All right, all right. Give me a clap.
1: Ah, come on. All right. <laughs> so, so, Jay, since we're just talking to you two, let's kind of give a summary. So, okay. we went back to, we know the generation could be PV, could be wind generation, could be coal, it could be nuclear, nuclear, nuclear power could be, as George W. Bush would say, nuclear. Um, but once it steps it up to send it out on the transmission lines, depending on the further it has to go, usually the higher voltage it's sent at. And then it gets to a transmission station. and it kind of it's at it's in you know it's kind of like point A to point B. It's up, it's just like kind of one of those things at a carnival, you know, where you get on that little basket and you ride up in your old bush gardens or whatever and you ride it to, and then it comes back down. That's what this is. It's power going up, running through the power lines, coming back down, and goes to a transmission station. Transmission station's going to step it down and send it out to a distribution station. Now, transmission substations could send it out to private uh, distribution stations for large businesses or they could send it out distribution stations for a local disbursement throughout uh, the different uh, near neighborhoods, subdivisions. And then you'll have that, the di- distribution substation steps that voltage down by 13.8, and it sends it out to the distribution lines all through the neighborhood to the customers, right? That doesn't mean that they might not step it down one more time down to like a 7.2 for certain, sub- certain uh, locations uh, it's fine because, again, we're just trying to get down to 122.40 or 122.08, right? In most cases are 482.77. So it might not be necessary, depending on the proximity, to have to send the voltage so high from a, from a distribution substation. Right. Might not be but a couple miles. So why do it at 13.8 and then have to try to get it down? But if I was gonna hit a commercial neighborhood, it'd probably stay at 13.8. If I'm gonna hit a residential, I'm probably gonna drop to 7.2 or something and try to hit that neighborhood. Maybe even 2,400, try to hit that neighborhood. Again, that's your utility. There's plenty of voltages that they can do. We are not utility experts, but that is the different voltages that, that you would typically see for distribution of power. And just wanted to give you, Jay and I wanted to give you that that 30,000 foot view of how it gets from point A to point B. And when you see down the road, you see that substation and you're looking at as electrical guy and your gal, and you're looking at it going, wow. Okay. That's completing the system. That is all part of this, this weave and web of, of utility lines that go everywhere. Um, I have something you know, did, probably didn't know Jay, Did you know that that Texas can be independent from the entire electric grid. That's why when you have the big brownouts and big, it doesn't affect Texas. You know why? Hmm. Because what? Texas has its oh, about three different generation facilities in the state of Texas to be isolated. We could actually be our own. You know, we could succeed. Succeed? Is that what they say? We could. We could leave the country if we wanted in oh. Texas. Wow! But we. But we won't because we play. Fairly with everybody, but and we'll even sell you our power too because we do that too. But anyway, only that. Jay, anything? You had some any other questions uh, yeah, before I got, we?
2: I got a, I got a good question. I imagine a lot of the guys out there, especially as resi- residential guys we we have this one question that's always it's it's always blown my mind how uh-uh. um, right how how my um main service at the house i'm running up a certain size conductor depending on and, and we'll get it into this more into series two. but but how come whether it's a two-ought 3 odd or four aluminum that i'm running up that i attach to this little tiny maybe six <laughs> tiny. or four uh i don't know operator, how tiny it is
1: uh, kj because sorry I don't know how tiny it is. They, they sometimes, I mean, they run decent size down. I mean, it's not like they're running 14 gauge or 12 down from the pole, you know what I'm
2: saying? No, but I think I, I think that when, or I know that when they go underground, it's a larger size wire uh, opposed right. to overhead. Can, can you Can you explain maybe sure. why that is?
1: Well, t- typically, when they go from a pad mounted transformer underground in a the neighborhood, they're using something like a URD, underground residential distribution, or UDC, underground distribution cable. And typically, uh, they're going to, because of it being underground and because of how they're doing the neighborhoods, that they're, they're dropping off and hitting the houses from these transformers. And they're typically going to be pretty comparable to what we would use. Okay, pretty comparable because of the configurations that URDs and things like that come in. However, when it comes to overhead utilities, a lot of times those are service drops and they will drop those down. Now, I work for a company, as we all know, I work for Encore Wire, and our service drop cables that come down um, are fairly sized equivalent, okay, when it comes to this. I mean, obviously we make a scope of sizes, uh, and we only make ACSR, which is... Aluminum conductor steel reinforced, but at the end of the day, they're pretty fairly sized. Um, but you buy the size you want. So, what Jay's referring to is you go to a job, it's 200 amp service, and you look at the drop. Here we are, we're required to run if you're going to run aluminum and it meets all the requirements of 310.12, let's say. And uh, again, that's the 83%, right? We're not going to get into code tonight. <laughs> If we meet all that or we're doing it, we run, let's say, 4-aught, and it's good for 180 amps, but, again, it doesn't correspond to a breaker, so it can be for 200 as long as the load doesn't exceed 180. Or we use 310.12, which used to be 310.15B7, which says if you don't exceed 400 amps and it's over 100 amps and you meet all the conditions, then we can size it based on it. doesn't have to be larger than 83%, but it has to be at least 83% of the rating of the service or feeder. Okay, so assuming we size all that and Jay runs this four-aught aluminum up there to the weatherhead and some old yahoo from the utility drops him something that looks like it's probably a six-gauge. And he's like, wait a minute. Aluminum. Aluminum. He's like, wait a minute. (laughs) Because ain't nobody going to run copper because of the weight. They're going to run aluminum. they go, aluminum, what? And the reason is for the utility one historical data okay if they know what the load pulls on a dwelling that or what it typically pulls on a dwelling or whatever then they're, they're they'll size for that or the fact of the matter is they're taking advantage or they think they're taking advantage of something that would be free air and so they're getting a free air and remember their values are different in the national electrical safety code than it would be in ours but if they're truly running it and they own the drop because our point of attachment's at the side of the building so they are responsible for that drop. They can run, one, whatever they want, and two, it's be honest with you, it's outside of the building, so if it did burn up, it just acts like one big fuse, and there's no harm, no foul. But they are banking on the fact that it is in the air, and it has air gets to it, and it's not in a raceway, not enclosed in annular space, that they they can get actually more ampacity out of the value. Now, I will argue that plexed, twisted service drop conductors that come down aren't necessarily meeting all the requirements of the new definition that we have in 2020 code of what's called free air. So whether or not they could apply free air values. But again, they're actually outside of the scope of the National Electrical Code. Okay, look under Article 90, you'll see they are outside of it. So they can tend to do what they want. But again, to answer your question, it's because they are using higher ampacity values, free air, and it is outside. So they believe it is of little threat to you other than the inconvenience of losing power. Sure. Does that answer it?
2: That makes sense. They're a bunch of cheaters. <laughs> they live by their own rules. Ah.
1: Well, you know, since I sell wire cable, if you want to install it for them and volunteer it, I'll take all the bigger <laughs> wire you can get. It's all its all good. Bigger wire, always bigger wire. If all else fails, if you don't know, just go bigger wire, right? That's what everybody I've, says, just bigger wire.
2: I've always been worried, though, that if something went wrong with that connection um, or maybe it grounded out or, or maybe I'm doing a –
1: And they do. Winds. If yours is all overhead, there's a lot of branches and limbs and trees that get moving and – and sure. cause it to rub and, and have abrasion and it causes it to, to, to short out, um, you know, or could have one of them connect to the, you know, because again, you have no equipment running down, no equipment grounded conductor. That's all grounded neutral conductor and your ungrounded hot conductors. So you can have phase to phase fault. You can have, you know, all those things can take place. And in what, in what happens is it takes out, takes out your system. But does it's it, an inconvenience.
2: Does, it's not it would have to take quite a bit, though, to take out that. What do they call those bucket transformers up top on the
1: oil field?
2: On the, the oil field
1: transformers. Well, so what's not taking it out is what's happening. Basically, is at the fault where the conductors rub and fault. Uh-huh. That ends up being so massive because there's no restriction on it. There's no, there's really yeah, no overcurrent. You have some, you have primary fuses, and you hope that it does something back there but not always the case and it ends up burning off burning out the wires but it but again it's it's outside of the scope of the NEC and it's on the utility side we can't say a whole bunch about it i do have people in the code that say my service drop conductors are too low and all that kind of stuff and i and and what you have to say to them is i understand that the national electrical code has height requirements however when it comes to a service drop, that is outside of the scope of the NEC. All you can do is call up the utility and say, I think that is too low. They may or may not do anything about it. Inspectors wanna call that out all the time. If that is under the scope of the utility, you can make something about it, but you can't do anything about it. Now, that brings us to what, remember we said service conductors overhead? That is different. So if I have a pole on a property, and let's it say it's a rural property, and my house is a good 500 yards inside of the, on my property. And they bring it over to the pole, and the utility company says, I ain't going no further. That's it. I ain't giving you nothing else. Well, guess what? It stops at that pole. That becomes the point of attachment. Everything on the load side from there to that house, 500 yards away or whatever, becomes the electrician's responsibility. Okay, and that becomes service conductors overhead, okay? So if you decide to go from that pole to another pole and into the side of the house, then those overhead conductors from that first pole that the utility stopped at, then the code would pick up and that's how you have all those clearances. And that would be where the National Electrical Code would tell you it's gotta be so many feet to that wire. But that doesn't apply to service drops. That only applies to service conductors overhead. Makes sense? Makes sense. Because the electrician ran it. The utility stopped at the pole. Again, I encourage people out there to go look at the definitions, again. And, and how do you know the difference? I'll, I'll clear that up. Service conductors overhead and service entrance conductors overhead, two different things. From a utility pole to, let's say, a tenant's pole, means I had to put it in or Jay had to put it in his yard because his, his mansion is too far from the, from the utility pole. So that is service conductors overhead. When it gets to the side of his building eventually, and it hooks to the side of the building, that's when it changes over from that weather head down. Those are called service entrance conductors overhead because they originated from an overhead system. The ones that are being run through the air to the side of the building, those are called service conductors overhead. Now, if it went straight from the pole to the side of the house, those are called service drop conductors and they are outside the scope of the NEC. They're in there, but they're outside the scope of the NEC. So again, it really makes a difference where that poll is and whether or not the utility supply in the house or the utility stopping at the poll and saying, Jay, you're gonna have to pay somebody. And that happens a lot in rural countries. Okay, out in the country somewhere, whereas the powers, the people live on 50 acres and the house wants to be smack dab in the middle of the 50 acres. The utility might say, I'm not running that. I'll bring it to your property line, but I ain't running that 50, I ain't running that half a mile in. So you have to make a choice. Do you want to go underground or do you want to go overhead? Either way, the moment the utility stops, it's now your responsibility. If it's underground, you got to meet the code. If it's overhead, you got to meet the code at that point. Okay. So kind of a lot of stuff. Again, I'm sure people listen to that and go, what the heck is Paul talking about? All you got to do is go read the definitions and see. It tells you where the line of demarcation for each leave off. And if I had thought so, I would have had some graphics for that, but I didn't. So I'm not. So anyway, Jay, any, any, any other questions?
2: Well, I mean, the, the, you said from the utility, from their pole going to our
1: to our house. Uh,
2: so our house, that's, that's a service drop?
1: That's called a service drop, yes.
2: That's, and and they're, they're responsible for the service drop.
1: They're responsible. They'll go our up to a certain of number of feet.
2: Our point of attachment is where we connect our conductors to their service drop.
1: That's right. And then that would be, if it's from an overhead, then that would be service entrance conductors overhead because it originated from overhead. And that's where you might see something like an SEU service entrance, cable, run from the weather head down. Or you could have a weather head and you could have a raceway and you have individual conductors in it and it comes down to hit the meter and then it goes out of the meter and hits the panel, right?
2: So if if we can't control their service drop and their height of their service drop, we can control the height of our point of attachment. So that is required
1: that we do have to have uh, to the service, the drip loops, That you have to make in order to keep the water not feeding into the end of the weatherhead. So we do have clearances that we're responsible for, for that. But that is all part of the transition between utility and what's our responsibility. That's right.
2: That might be in the next episode.
1: Yeah, we probably will talk about that in the next episode. A little bit about all those requirements for residential. And once we get now that we're at the building... We'll probably yep. talk about the various options that you can get that power from the weatherhead down into the building. So I think we've probably beat this one to death. So, again, Jay, any closing remarks you want to say bye to everybody? Um, yeah.
2: code strong, guys. Have a good week. Rewatch this video a couple times. Um, get familiar with what, what we went over. Um, have a good conversation with your utility guys.
1: Learn their Jay- And if Jay said anything wrong, it's his fault. And if I said anything you disagree with, it's his fault. And, but if you do need clarity on all of the difference between service conductors overhead, whatever, check the code out, but email me. Feel free to email me at info at masterthenec.com. I'm more than happy to uh, do it. Or you know what, which you can also do, Jay, you know what they can do? They can wait for the rebroadcast of this and actually in the comments area of the video, you can ask a question.
2: Drop okay. your comments. Drop your concerns. Uh, drop um, scenarios that you guys have may have had. Um, things that you guys have seen, or maybe stuff that's coming up. We'd love to communicate with you guys through there too, as well. Yeah. So uh, we look forward to those comments and subscribe too. Yes. Um, if you haven't already, um, bring your friends along, man. We're we're giving you guys some really good live, raw comments and and scenarios and good information that um, you're not going to get probably from anywhere else. So. Yeah. Don't order it. Share it. That's
1: right. (laughs) And even though we did a 30,000-foot view of utility, because we are not utility guys, I think you get an understanding of how it makes it from point A to point B, and that's really what we wanted to do with this episode. So for Jay, I'm Paul. We'll see you next week. Take care. God bless. Paul Abernathy and
0: Jay Brunberg.